Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every single movie ever nominated for Best Picture in order from the very first award ceremony to eventually the present year. I'm one of your hosts, Susan Araslin. I'm your other host, I'm David Dahl. This week we watched the penultimate film for the 1931-1932 Academy Awards, which is One Hour With You, another Lubitsch musical. Yeah, I was going to say, I told you earlier that after listening to sort of the, the first few episodes that we finally started sort of releasing to the public... I've made a pledge to stop cursing so much. This is a real I picked a bad week to stop sniffing glue scenario. Because, <laughs> oh boy, this movie is like... Here's the thing about the Lubitsch movies, is that the intro sequences are always so good. Like, the first couple of scenes are always great. And so I get lulled into this false sense of security that this is going to be a good movie. And then, boy, is it not. Mm-mm. So this is, what, the third Lumish yeah. musical that we've had to watch? Yes. The second in this year. Yeah. And I, I do at least have to say, at least he isn't marrying a queen that he is inexplicably getting away with just being a garbage person to. There's almost an inverse correlation between the technical quality of Ernst Lubitsch's direction and how much I like the movie because Love Parade I made a lot of excuses for and I came around to realizing that it kind of sucked. The Smiling Lieutenant I really hated, but One Hour With You, I not only hated the story, I hated everyone in the story. I'm so glad that you said that. I had no sympathy for anyone in this movie. Because by the end, I was like, do I hate Colette too? Yep. Do I hate Jeanette McDonald's character? Because boy, it spreads outward like a cancer from Mitzi. <laughs> and like... It does. And for the first third of this film, I thought, boy, did they finally make an Ernst Lubitsch picture where I don't hate Maurice Chevalier's character. Right? Because he started out as the only sympathetic one. And by the end of it, I hated everybody. <laughs> They're all garbage people. The Adolf is the most sympathetic character. And he's a And jackass. he wants to steal his best friend's wife. And also his name is Adolf. Yeah, I mean, really the reason he's the most sympathetic character is because, yeah, he's trying to steal Colette from his best friend, Andre. But he's dumb. So, like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> He's embarrassing himself. <laughs> so I guess I feel kind of like, oh, that poor guy's embarrassing himself. By the way, were you as annoyed as I was by the, like, iambic tetrameter banter that was just, like, just so half-hearted? Like, if you're gonna do that, do that. 
don't like almost do it and then like get over it you mean at the beginning where they had the cops talking about springtime in paris right but it comes back a couple times yeah there are a couple of other scenes that do these rhyming iambic tetrameter but nobody's actually singing bits for like a couple of lines and i think it's supposed to be when the banter gets especially witty but it's not when the banter gets especially witty because they have to jump through all these extra hoops so it's just this thing that happens semi-randomly and therefore irritates me yeah the fairies in midsummer it is not (laughs) yeah I think that was the idea, but it really, it really fell flat. And I find it fascinating that they didn't just commit to it because they commit to a bunch of other crap in this, in this infuriating movie. It is infuriating. Yeah. (laughs) There's so much about it that's like totally, completely infuriating. Like we should probably describe the movie at some point. This is the most hackneyed sitcom plot. This is the most just fucking tell your wife goddamn anything. Shoot, I already ruined it. I already ruined not cursing. (laughs) Oh my god. But just the plot of this movie would be solved so quickly if Maurice Chevalier would simply turn to his wife and go, your best friend keeps hitting on me. And she's very attractive, but I love you and I don't know what to do about it. Like, at any point. Yeah, that would have solved the entire... I mean, we also wouldn't have a movie, but like, okay, good. Yeah, because instead he does like four different musical numbers about like, oh, I'm trapped. There's nothing I can do. This is a no-win scenario. No man could ever think of another solution. And it's just talk to your wife, dude. Just talk to your wife for five seconds. And yeah, it sucks. Like, it's definitely an uncomfortable situation. But your childhood best friend is throwing herself at me and will not stop, even though I have told her that I'm not interested. It's also like, Colette knows that Mitzi constantly cheats on her husband with other men. Right. It is established in their first scene together that Colette knows this is a thing Mitzi does. Mm -hmm. So, like... Just tell your wife. Why won't you just tell your wife? And the answer by the end of the movie is because you're a garbage person and you want to cheat on your wife, but you don't want to take responsibility for it because everyone in this movie is a garbage person. Everybody! So to explain the plot very quickly, because that's pretty fast. So Maurice Chevalier is a doctor who is married to Jeanette MacDonald, whose name is Colette. And they love each other and, like, make out in parks and are super hot for each other even though they're married. Which is, like, a thing that they specifically talk about. It's like, we're married, but, like, we act like we're having a grand affair. Which, great. Mitzi is Colette's oldest friend and is coming to visit. She is married to a professor? Yes. uh, Of, in one of the few, like clever bits in the movie of ancient history, which means that he introduces himself to the man that his wife wants to cheat on him with as ancient history. Yes. Which is a great bit. And he actually ends up having a lot of the best lines in this movie. For instance, like, he says something about how they have a a really curious and bizarre law in France where if you shoot your wife, you go to jail. Which at at first I was like, wow, that's dark. Yeah. And then you meet Mitzi. By 20 minutes in, you're like, there should definitely be an exception for Mitzi. Anyone should be allowed to shoot Mitzi. Yeah, so she comes over to Colette's house. 
and meets her husband, hits on him excessively. Before that, she's just taking a taxi. She's just going to steal a taxi from oh, someone. Oh, right, right, right. And then ends up stealing his taxi because they're, like, going to the same location. They end up riding together. And she is just immediately trying to sleep with him, even though he establishes that he is married, like, five seconds into the conversation. Right, right. Which almost makes Mitzi halfway forgivable because you're like, oh, she just didn't know that it was her best friend's husband and it's going to be like this uncontrollable attraction between the two of them, even though they both know it's wrong. Nope. She just keeps hitting on him like it ain't a fucking problem after she... Dang it, I did it again. I hate Mitzi so much. Yeah, it really was a bad week to stop sniffing glue. (laughs) Anyway, she she learns that Dr. Andre Bertier, which I don't think that... Oh, I guess they do say the last name, is her best friend's husband, and then keeps hitting on him. Just really ruthlessly constantly hitting on him. She keeps hitting on him, and not only that, when her best friend expresses that she is worried that her husband is gonna cheat on her or is interested in this other woman. Oh, that was when I was just like, if Mitzi does not end this movie miserable, I will hate this film. Spoiler alert, Mitzi doesn't end the movie miserable. Nope. And maybe actually gets off the closest to scot-free of anyone in this film, because she doesn't end up being married to anyone in this film anymore <laughs> so yeah there's a dinner party that happens and Maurice Chevalier tries to switch the seating arrangement so that he's not sitting next to Mitzi which Colette takes as he actually wants to sit next to this other chick because he wants to hook up with her but it's actually that he just doesn't want Mitzi to sit next to him also his best friend Adolf calls up Colette and is like trying to seduce her and says that he's going to be dressed as Romeo because his butler told him it was a costume party. Specifically because the butler thought he would look good in tights. (laughs) Yes. Well, not even that. He just said, I wanted to see you in tights. And I was like, is this a, is his butler hitting on him? Or is his butler like, thinks that's funny? So basically there's a lot of uh, Mitzi trying to convince Maurice Valier to cheat on his wife with her. And then eventually that actually happens. Colette makes out with Adolf at some point or dreams that she does. That was not entirely clear to me. Then the end comes and everybody confesses that they made out with other people, but not in a, like, I have something to tell you way, but in a, haha, I'm going to one-up you way. Which I hated. And that's the happy ending, by the way. And that's the happy ending. It's like, oh, well, we both cheated, so it's cool. Now we're just going to happily make out instead of, like, work through this for months and try to rebuild trust. It's just like, no, we're good. There was a little watched movie by the guy who did King of the Hill and Beavis and Butthead about like five years ago. I think it was called Extract. And it had Mila Kunis and what's his name from Arrested Development. I'm doing great on the polls today. Uh, But the reason I'm bringing this film up is that it has a weirdly similar plot to this movie and a weirdly similar outlook on marriage. And it infuriated me so much. 
at the time because I went to go see it with a, a mutual friend of ours, Jane, oh, which is not. Yay, Jane. Hey, Jane. And we both just talked about like how much we hated this idea and couldn't believe it was the premise of a movie. And now I've learned it's the premise of two movies to just end a movie on. Well, we both cheated. So fair's fair. It's definitely the premise of three movies because this is a musical remake of a Lubitsch film that he made uh. in 1924. Right, of course it is. Uh, the thing that's infuriating in Extract is that, like in this movie, it's supposed to be fair's fair, but, like, you've watched how this went down, and, like, fair is not fair. This was not an equivalent exchange, even if you're going on the theory that equivalent exchange makes it all okay. In Extract, Jason Bateman is worried his wife is going to cheat on him, and therefore, like, hires a handsome hunk to do their lawn work and try and get his wife to sleep with him. And then it works, and the wife actually does sleep with the lawnmower dude. And then he, like, goes slowly but surely insane because he's also being, like, sued by a former employee played, I think, by Mila Kunis, and then eventually extorts Mila Kunis into sleeping with him. Then she goes away, and then the end of the movie is, now they both cheated, so I guess the marriage can just go on from here. And it's like, but both of them were your fault, and both of them were literally crimes, and you're a horrible person who should die. <laughs> and that's how I feel about Mitzi. That's pretty, yes, pretty much. Yeah, but I actually hate everybody else in this movie, too. You sent me a text message about this, about how Lubitsch's one talent is to somehow suck all of the charm out of Maurice Chevalier, who starts this movie uh, yeah. totally appealing. He starts every Lubitsch movie. Like, do you know how hard it is to do direct address to the camera out of nowhere? To just break the fourth wall and then come back in? Like, you have to have so much charisma to pull that off. And he does it! And then just, nope, all of it's gone. I hate this guy. Throw him off a cliff. He's the worst. I mean, literally by the end of the movie, I felt like Maurice Chevalier looked older, haggard, sleepless, and dirty. And I don't know if he actually did or if I just hated Andre so much by that point that he ceased to be physically attractive because of it. I think the moment I decided I kind of hated him because he had this one-off line after he cheats on his wife where he didn't take responsibility for it, where he blamed Mitzi for kissing her. And I was like, ugh. And then he does an entire musical number about how no man could ever make any choice other than this. Like, be honest with yourself. You'd definitely sleep with Mitzi, too. And it's like, no, dude, I wouldn't. Mitzi is a garbage person. <laughs> Yeah, she's a horrible human being. It's not even a hard thing to reject. It's like, hey, uh, you're literally my wife's oldest friend. You're a terrible person. I'm not interested. And there's nothing about her where it's like, oh, she's this incredibly beautiful, sultry seductress. She looks almost identical to his wife. And her only defining quality is that she is throwing herself at him. Yeah. That's it. Which, by the way, his wife is too. Like constantly yeah. and his wife is Jeanette McDonald yeah 
This was the thing I wanted to mention earlier when we were talking about the servant that wanted to see Adolf in tights. Did you also get the sense that Mitzi's maid was definitely sleeping with the professor? I did not, but... There's just so many shots of them together and there's so much weird stuff about the maid not wanting to take off work and wanting to stick around whenever Mitzi goes out. Yeah, okay, that, I mean, yeah, probably, probably because this movie... Because that would get rid of the last decent human being in this film. (laughs) I mean, uh, yeah, and honestly, like, it would totally fall in lockstep with how loathsome everybody else is in this movie. If on top of being just the largest misanthrope on Earth, Professor Olivier was pissed at his wife for cheating on him, but he's also stopping the maid. Yeah, it seems like this universe where just, like, Everybody is constantly trying to cheat on their spouse 100% of the time. I feel like this is something that can work in a French film context if it is handled in a very different way. But it's like watching noises off about cheating on your spouse. Like, it tries to be funny, and there's nothing sexy about it. Yeah, I kept having these, like, fallback positions of, like, maybe the movie will be okay if it's actually this. And, like, there was a while in Act 2 where I was like, maybe this is like a slamming door farce, and everybody ends up, like, one marriage to the right. Like, they all get divorced and they all marry somebody new. And are happy. But no one's even really happy. No. That's the thing, is, like, they just sweep it all under the carpet. The strangest thing is that, like... They spend so much time establishing how happy Maurice Chevalier and Jeanette MacDonald are in their marriage at the start of the movie. And it's like, don't, don't do that. Like, don't make me invested in this relationship to a level this movie clearly isn't. That is the thing that absolutely drove me crazy, is that the first act of this movie is, look at this incredibly happy couple who have been married for a few years, who still are passionately in love with one another who run around making out in parks and almost getting arrested because like the cops don't believe that they're married or whatever and all it takes is some other chick throwing herself at him for chevalier to be like oh well i mean you know you you would sleep with her too and i'm like not if i was crazy hot for somebody else with whom I had a committed relationship. That's what I meant to bring up when I was talking about how he has a musical number excusing himself for cheating on his wife with Mitzi. Is which of the three musical numbers excusing himself for cheating on his wife with Mitzi was the one where you, like, finally lost it? Because oh. there was What Would You Do? And then there was Oh That Mitzi. Uh Actually, I lost it pretty early. I'm, I think I lost it on uh, What Would You Do? Yeah. And Oh That Mitzi just made me want to, like, throw something at my television. Because Mitzi <laughs> is the worst. Like, I wanted to strangle him on What Would You Do? But Oh That Mitzi, I was like, am I... Uh, it, I, I felt like... Did I miss a reel where Mitzi is interesting or good <laughs> or... More attractive than your wife, or is anything? Is anything other than just this chick who wants to bang her best friend's husband? Yeah. For no reason other than- I mean, I guess, like, he's hot, but sure. There's a lot of hot people in the world, Mitzi. Pick somebody else. I mean, like, listen, her husband has, like, this opening line of, like, am I a handsome man? And it gets told that, like, no. And, like, he's in his 40s. 
but he's like all right in his 40s. He could definitely play like a professor that a college student has the hots for in a movie about that. Funnily enough, Charles Ruggles, who plays Adolf, Mm -hmm. was one of those guys who like aged into his 70s and was like a super hot 70 year old. Oh, I am looking at the Wikipedia page. And yeah, I am getting, I am, yes. Yeah, right. But like 1.2 on the Kinsey scale I am is picking <laughs> up what this dude is putting down. Yeah. Like, I, I get it. He was like, you know, the, the kind of guy that you imagine in the stereotypically masculine library, like sitting in the overstuffed leather chair. And you're like, oh, I'm, I'm, I get it he's like drinking scotch and and smoking a pipe not that hot in this movie but i think that's just because they put glasses on him (laughs) i mean they put glasses on him and he's like kind of doughy yeah like the professor is old and adolf is kind of doughy and like therefore by process of elimination maurice chevalier is the only attractive male in this universe again because that's how ernst lubitsch pictures go And Professor Olivier is, like, definitely not... Professor Olivier is, like, nobody. This is definitely the, like, attractiveness equivalent of, like, bad action movies where, like, no one can aim. Like, just, like, it's not that he's that great. It's that nobody else is showing up to be more attractive than him. Yeah, that's that's essentially it, yeah. Well, Maurice Chevalier is really charming, and he looks great in white tie and tails. But, like, literally everyone looks great in white tie and tails. That's kind of, like, how that works. Right. I'm just saying, like, in the hypothetical version of this universe that you dropped Cary Grant into. Like. Oh, yeah. In, in, the, in that world. He's. Do- everybody cheats on everyone with Cary yeah. Grant. <laughs> Including the professor. And a- Maurice yes. Chevalier. Like. Adolf, everybody just does it with characters. Yeah, there's... <laughs> yeah. And I would like that movie better, because it would be like, well, I mean, it's Cary Grant. <laughs> what are you gonna do? <sighs> but yeah, this was... It was totally infuriating. And I think one of the things that probably made me the most angry about it was the realization that even in one year between... Or however many months, because they both got nominated in the same year, between The Smiling Lieutenant and this movie, Lubitsch's technical ability as a director totally skyrocketed, but the content is terrible it's like put that talent somewhere else buddy yeah i feel like we've watched enough movies by him now that it's like we can just thoroughly establish that like dude's telling on himself like the plot of every movie is like i mean every man's got to cheat on his wife it's just a thing they've got to do and women maybe dress up a little bit more for your man and accept that it's probably your fault when your man cheats on you. Also, I'm in love with Maurice Chevalier. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just such a weird thing <laughs> that, like, every one of his movies is technically well-directed. When he has a good script, it's charming. These movies can be charming. There are charming scenes. There are charming bits of dialogue. But, like, the plot of every one of them is such repellent garbage that Ernst Lubitsch (laughs) seems so, like, just addicted to, that it's such a waste. Yeah, it really is. It's such an incredible waste of talent. Fun fact, though, I recently discovered, well, I recently discovered two things. One, he directed The Patriot, which we never got to see, which, in retrospect, I'm now like, 
maybe maybe that was good. <laughs> you know, maybe it's good that that's lost to history. I'm just curious how courtly intrigue is somehow a woman's fault and she needs to please her man better. <laughs> because that will always be the point of an Ernest Lubitsch film. He also directed Shop Around the Corner. Okay. Yeah, I know. We've still got, like, a couple more Ernst Lubitsch pictures. I think it was Vox had, was reposting a thing that they had made that was ranking every Best Picture winner of all time. And I think we still have an Ernst Lubitsch picture or two ahead of us that, like, he actually wins for. We definitely have Nanoshka, which I don't think he won for that one did he ever actually win or just the movie that he did one it might be the movie that he was involved in i don't quite remember i know he kind of has a second act in the 50s because like it happened one night is apparently like not only like it invented the romantic comedy but like it still holds up yeah i mean i i would love to watch a movie that still that a hundred percent still holds up because there's definitely movies we've watched that we've enjoyed yeah but but every one of them i've had caveats about you know yeah i don't think we have watched a movie that has withstood the screen test of time i think we've just watched movies that i've liked given the other movies that we've been watching for the screen test of time yeah yeah there are definitely ones that i think are artistically viable and that people should see like i think all quiet on the western front would be one of them and especially like in a film history kind of a way do interesting things you're right all quiet on the western front is the it's just such a bummer and i did not need that in the year of our lord 2017 (laughs) but like It was a good movie. All Quiet on the Western Front has withstood the screen test of time. And I would like to say that Shanghai Express has, except for the horrible (laughs) yellow face casting in it. Right, except for the, the horrible racism. Yeah, exactly. If you take Shanghai Express and you just, uh, and you take like individual shots of it that are like these incredibly beautiful chiaroscuro shots, you're like, oh wow, that's an artistic achievement. And then you watch it and you're like, why did they have to put this garbage in it? And it sucks too, because like, it's otherwise an enjoyable story. Like it's a good story with horrible racist caricatures in it, which I feel like that's going to come up a lot. (laughs) Like Gone with the Wind is going to (laughs) happen. Yeah, I feel like we're definitely not done with that. (laughs) I feel like from the fact that we've gotten this far afield... You should definitely watch One Hour With You, right? That's that's what we're saying by, like, not talking about the film for ten straight minutes. I feel like there is definitely a context in which you should watch One Hour With You. Like, if you were engaged and your fiancé just dumped you, you should watch this movie. Because you'd be like, yeah, marriage sucks and everybody sucks who gets married. To feel better. And that's literally the only reason you should watch this movie is if you're already infuriated for that specific reason. The only way that you can like legally get this movie, by the way, is as part of a criterion collection of Ernst Lubitsch films. (laughs) And guys, maybe just start boxing up people's iPhone videos, because if you're doing this, just my dog does some pretty entertaining stuff sometimes. (laughs) And my wife puts it on Instagram. And I'm just saying, she's a designer. She could maybe help you do one of those nice sleeves that you do. I mean, there's a Criterion Collection (laughs) version of Point Break, which is the greatest movie ever made. Oh, I... 
I will. I, I'm like, I'm totally behind that. When they finally stop making Fast and the Furious movies and there's like a Criterion box set of the Fast and the Furious movies, I will buy that so fast. Don't do a Criterion collection of Ernst Lubitsch films. Come on, I mean, guys. they've already done it. It's too late. You're better than that. It's too late. I know. What grade, what score are we giving this movie? Oh my God. So like, I want to give it, like, I desperately want to give it like a two because it made me so angry, but it's technically better than that. Yeah. It's not in old Arizona. Like the sound quality is great. There's some really good cinematography. There's great costuming. The songs have catchy melodies, even if the subject of the songs makes me want to strangle the people singing them. I also, because we recently put out our episode about the the first Ernst Lubitsch film we watched, whose title escapes me, even though you said it 10 minutes ago. The Love Parade. Yeah. You bring up a criticism of sort of the way female characters are directed to sing in this era. And boy, did I have that problem with Jeanette McDonald's numbers in this. Like, she does a great job with it. She does what's what's on the page. I just don't like it that much. Yeah, but I will say, like, as compared to The Love Parade, whatever recording that they did for this movie, as opposed to The Love Parade, managed to capture her, like, super hummingbird vibrato in a way that was not yeah. as distracting. <laughs> Yes, I will definitely say like that, that I think that it was technically well done. I just, it bothered me more in the actual musical numbers of this than it did in The Love Parade. That's fair. That's fair. I'm also like very angry at Lubitsch because listening to The Love Parade episode, I'm like, why did I give this asshole the benefit of the doubt? Why did I say like, oh, well, he's making like a quirky, subversive comment on the absurdity of gender roles. No, he's just a misogynist and probably a misanthrope as well. Like, definitely a misogynist. This movie made me realize he just hates everybody. I do think it's like there's the openings are so charming every time in this movie, too. The first 10 minutes of this movie, I was like, Ernst Lubitsch did it. He finally made a movie I'm going to love. It's going to be great. This is going to go great. And then it didn't because it was still an Ernst Lubitsch film. I kind of want to sit down with him and be like, who hurt you? (laughs) (laughs) How bad did the what was her name? How bad did the divorce go? Like, what did she say in the divorce hearing that your entire musical career is built on this weird, totally hollow self-justification for cheating on her? Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I'm like, what, what happened to you, man? And, or, or was he like gay and in the closet and just in love with Maurice Chevalier? And, and so that was like... It's like, let's make a bunch of movies about how women are terrible together. Yeah. In any case, his movies make me very, very angry. And I definitely have gone through and looked at when he dies in the context of like, well, you know, there will come a point where we don't have to watch any of his shitty movies anymore. I do have to say, looking at his Wikipedia page, he does get divorced from his first wife in 1930. Well, there you go. It feels like he got divorced, marched out, and made the love parade. Followed by the smiling lieutenant and one hour with you. Yeah. Well, you know, like, I guess that's a reason, but is it a justification? 
I don't think so. No, absolutely not. I am going to give this movie a 3.5. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I, I thought I, your audio would I... cut out. It, <laughs> like, that was... <laughs> it was... <laughs> It's it's not that this movie just deserves a 3.5. It's that it deserves a 3.5 with that exact level of enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, I want to say, part of me is like, oh, let's give it a four. Because there are some things about it that are, again, like, technically, in the literal sense of technically, very, very good. But then there's a part of me that's like, oh, give it a three. Because... I hate everybody in this movie. I hate them. I, the The best thing that could have happened to this movie is if, like, everybody had to go to World War One in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If it, if it were just a replay of Seventh Heaven where it was like, oh, halfway through, everybody has to go to World War One, I, I would have liked this movie so much better. <laughs> Yeah, 3.5. Fine. 3.5. And I kind of want to just be like, and now let's throw this movie down the memory hole. (laughs) Next week, we'll be watching Grand Hotel, which actually won. Yeah, and I'm super excited about because it has one of the most famous lines in film of all time, which is Garbo's I Want to Be Alone. And it has a garbage poster, so probably it's going to be great. Yeah, the poster is, is... Woo! It is bad. The poster has too much going on in any individual part of the poster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really, really does. Yeah. But the cast is amazing. You've got two Barrymores, Greta Garbo, Joe Crawford, uh, and Wallace Beery. So, like, it must be good. I'm going to be so disappointed if this movie is garbage and this entire year is basically a wash. I've got my backup choices. Yeah, I guess we should save that. And it is, yeah, something we will talk about next week. Yeah. I'll tell you right now, though, it is not one hour with you. (laughs) No, no, probably, like, probably on the low end of the ranking. God, I kind of want us to do a tournament next week of how, do we hate one hour with you or the smiling lieutenant more? Oh, one hour with you. Oh, see. I don't know, actually. That's it. Because is this? (laughs) I'd have to rewatch the smiling Mm. lieutenant, which I'm not going to (laughs) do. That's absolutely fair. The only argument I would make against the smiling lieutenant is like, maybe the same way your opinion from... (laughs) from Love Parade dropped from, I don't know, maybe this is all right, to this person is garbage. Your opinion of The Smiling Lieutenant would drop from, this movie is garbage, to, this movie is the worst garbage. <laughs> <laughs> or or my opinion of The Smiling Lieutenant would increase, because I hated it at the time, but at least I didn't hate every single person in it and wish that they had died. I, well, I mean... Because that would have been the happy ending of that movie. Okay, that's fair, because the queen was actually pretty great in The Smiling Lieutenant. Or the princess. Everyone else... Yeah, she was adorable. Yeah. Anyway... And Francie was, like, a good enough person that she was like, Hey, I'm I'm leaving you because you're actually married and your wife seems like a cool chick. So, like, go be happy. You're right. You're right. Everyone except for Maurice Chevalier's character is a good person in The Smiling Lieutenant. Yeah. All right. 
Fair enough. And, and like, it sucks that he then makes out like a bandit, but I didn't hate everyone in the movie, which I did in this one. Anyway, next week, The Grand Hotel. And until then, this was a movie where we hated everyone. <laughs> huh. Yes, it was. Good riddance to this movie. What would you do? That's what I did too. Goodbye, everybody.